0: I think the universe um, and the spirit of life have a way of orchestrating our lives, the, t- the times of our life, the seasons of our life, um, without our knowing it. Oftentimes, upon reflection, we discover it. Uh, this fall, <clears throat> when I came across the uh, response of reading, I started reflecting on it. And in the past weeks, as I started putting my thoughts down on paper, um, Sue Suzette came to mind as an individual who taught many of us how to live with and overcome our limitations with grace and strength. Uh, The timing of her transition this week um, is uncanny, but uh, not without meaning and purpose and orchestration. O spirit of life, we struggle against our limitations. May we learn to accept them, and in so doing, may they help define our uniqueness and lead us toward a more authentic, fully human life. We are each born with different traits and characteristics and abilities and limitations. No two of us are alike. We are as unique as snow, snowflakes, as fingerprints, and as zebra stripes. As we grow, we move progressively out into the world, being shaped and reshaped by our family and our friends, our teachers, our community, and the workplace. It's a wonderful and a terrifying process, being nurtured inside the safe environs of the castle wall, And then venturing out over the moat and finally into the wild forest beyond. Hopefully, we're prepared and provisioned and fortified so that we aren't eaten by the wolves. We call this traumatic maturation process growing up. It's a process of moving from dependency on others on the one hand to depending on ourselves. From external guidance and authority to accepting responsibility for our own choices and being our own authority. From requiring the external validation that comes from others to being confident with our own internal self validation. The further along this maturation continuum that we move, the more self actualized and authentic we become. The more fully human we become. To successfully navigate this path, we need a community of people to teach us, to hold us, to cry with us, to celebrate with us, to love us. It takes a village. An important part of successfully navigating life's pathway is learning how to deal with our limitations in ways that lead us toward spiritual wholeness and personal satisfaction. Awareness of our limitations begins at an early age. In elementary school, we start being evaluated and compared by our teachers to other students through the bell curve grading process and by our classmates through the order in which we are chosen for a game of soccer or a relay race at recess. Comparison leads to competition, and competition leads to stress as we are tested and begin to discover what we can and cannot do, and as we learn what others expect of us and what we should expect of ourselves. There are moments of recognition along, this, along the way. Reality checks. And if you don't mind, um, uh, an example from, uh, from our uh, uh, viewing of our uh, movies in our home, uh, the Toy Story. Uh, like Buzz Lightyear in Toy Story, when he discovered that he really couldn't fly to infinity and beyond, like the advertising on his display box says, he came crashing down to Earth disillusioned, and forced to deal with earthbound limitations. Successfully coming to grips with our limitations is difficult. We live in a highly competitive society that values and rewards exceptional performance. We call those that excel winners, the fastest, the prettiest, the smartest, the richest, the biggest, the best, the most. We admire, we idolize, and we envy those These so-called winners, those who have overcome obstacles and limitations to rise above the rest. We heap on them praise and admiration and affirmation in the form of trophies and ribbons and medals and fame and riches. All of this gets mixed up with our own self-worth because most of us are not the fastest. Most of us are not the prettiest. We're not the smartest and not the richest. Though wouldn't it be grand if we were? Wouldn't it be great if we were that long shot that paid off 40 to 1? So we cheer for the underdog because the underdog, like us, struggles to beat the odds, to overcome the insurmountable obstacles, to prove conventional wisdom wrong, to triumph over adversity, to defy human limitations, to bring low the high and mighty. The underdog is our proxy, our David in a world of Goliaths. Isn't this why the movie going public paid to see Sylvester Stallone reprise his role of Rocky not once, but five times? <laughs> I don't know how many of those movies you went to. I can say I went to the first one. Rocky represents every man. He represents us in our struggle to overcome our limitations. Against all odds, he gets his shot and he wins. And we loved Rocky so much that we awarded that first film three Academy Awards, including Best Picture. Hindsight kind of makes you wonder about that one. The subtext of this premise and society's value proposition is that to be a champion, to be a winner, we need to overcome our human limitations, the cards that we've been dealt. And not to overcome is to be a person of lesser value or, harshly put, a loser. But the proposition for our consideration is, are human limitations obstacles that confine and impede our fulfillment, Barriers that must be overcome in order to achieve self-worth and validation as human beings? Or are human limitations the outline, the shape, the vessel that serves to define each one of us uniquely that when embraced and fully examined help us become fully human? Do they confine and limit us or define and liberate us? From time to time throughout my life, I've been blessed to experience the all and perfection and fullness of nature. The penetrating peace that entered my soul from a million points of Milky Way light while lying on my back in a field and looking up into the sky on a cool summer's night in Vermont. The muffled silence that filled my ears while standing knee deep and motionless in an evergreen forest a freshly fallen snow that clung to every piney bough and whispered be still the jolting goosebump surprise that came from plunging into a spring-fed mountain pool after a long hot day of backpacking the dazzling visual fiesta of snorkeling through a school of blue tang on a warm sunny day in tropical waters I wonder if the river despairs of its downward destiny. I wonder if winter yearns to be summer. I wonder if silence would like to shout. I wonder if the mountains envy the valleys. I wonder if the moon complains that it is not the sun. I wonder if the world ever sighs after more than it is. My experience says not. Nature is content to maximize itself within its created limitations, to be fully what it is and nothing more. The million cool points of starlight from light years away do not envy the pristine snowflakes falling in an evergreen forest, which do not envy the sense-jarring refreshment of a cool mountain stream, which does not envy the extravagant visual splendor that inhabits a coral reef. Each component of nature is not the other, but unique in an ecosystem that depends on the other to be what it is and nothing more or nothing less. Each is complete unto itself without comparison to the other. One is no greater or lesser than, whether it lives for an instant or a million years, whether it is mono or polychromatic, Whether it inhabits the infinitude of space or the finitude of a single snowflake, nature is content being itself. But human nature, our nature, is a different story. We struggle with our limitations. We seek to be free from them, believing that in so doing, we will fulfill ourselves. The writings of C.S. Lewis have been an important influence on my spiritual life. Though a professor of medieval and renaissance English at the University of Cambridge during the middle part of the last century, Lewis is more popularly known to us today as a children and adult fiction writer and most recently by several films from the Narnian Chronicles. Intrigued by the allegorical form as a vehicle for exploring the great questions of life, Lewis wrote a science fiction book called Paralandra, in which he captures a profound truth of the universe, the unequal equality and sufficiency of the created order, in which each element of creation is necessary, is sufficient, and complete unto itself. Its value is not derived from comparison to another, There is no ranking of good, better, best. No bronze, silver, or gold. Its validation comes merely and profoundly from being solely and fully what it was intended to be, a unique, limited expression in the created order. Lewis writes, each thing from the single grain of dust to the strongest being is the end and the final cause of all creation the mirror in which the beam of the creator comes to rest and is reflected back again. In this great dance, plans without number interlock, and each movement becomes, in its season, the breaking forth into flower of the whole design. Each is equally at the center, and none are there by being equals. Some by giving place, some by receiving place. The small things by their smallness, the great things by their greatness, and all linked and bound together. There is a measurable use for each thing that is made, he continues. The splendor of creation flows forth like a strong river, which fills the deep pools and the shallow pools, filled equally and completely, and yet they remain unequal. Brothers and sisters, love each other, for you are uniquely made and infinitely necessary for each other. Now, this concept of unequal equality, of the sufficiency and completeness found within the limitations of each and every created thing, is a challenging concept to embrace. What makes us human, distinct from the rest of nature, is that great and wonderful gift of conscious awareness As part of nature, we participate in this great interdependent dance, but unlike nature, we can consciously step aside and observe the dance. Our nature includes the ability to reflect, to evaluate, compare, judge, and finally choose. The gift of human consciousness is the story of the Garden of Eden. How to get back to the Garden to be in harmony with the great dance of the universe has bedeviled us ever since. To be human is to struggle with the discontent that often comes when we compare ourselves and station in life with others, when we struggle with our personal limitations. Again, from Paralandra, one goes into the garden to pick food, and already the thought of one fruit rather than another, has grown up in one's mind. Then it may be one finds a different fruit, and not the fruit one thought of. One joy was expected, another given. But in that very moment of the finding, there is in the mind a kind of thrusting back, a setting aside, a rejection of what was given. For the desire for the fruit one entered the garden to find is still before you. And you send your soul after the good you had expected instead of turning it to the good that you found. You refuse the real good and by refusing make the real fruit taste insipid by longing for the other. Unlike the contentment found in nature where the deep pool and the shallow pool are filled equally yet remain unequal by virtue of their differing volume, we wrestle with our limitations and are often discontent with who we are, how we are made, and what we have been given, making the good that we have been given taste insipid while longing for what we don't have. As adults and as a people of faith here at all souls, we can sometimes be like children on Christmas morning, filled with the excitement for what lies under the tree, but disappointed at what doesn't. Embracing the outline, the shape that uniquely defines us in this earthly life can liberate us from the treadmill of a highly competitive society that typically measures self-worth, in comparison to others, instead of achieving and delighting in one's personal best. When we as individuals or as a church focus on living into what we are and not what we aren't, we become more comfortable with ourselves, more complete, more unique, more authentic, and more human. A church is a living organism struggling with many of the same issues as humans. The spiritual growth and vitality of all souls comes not from comparing ourselves to competing with or conforming to the shape and incarnation of other UU churches. But from finding our own voice, our own harmony, which will authentically emerge as we support each other on our individual paths to wholeness. The flower of our life here at All Souls is still unfolding. And who can say what we will be until we have fully bloomed? The uniqueness, authenticity, and appeal of all souls will unfold more fully if we ask ourselves these questions. How can I become more loving? How can I become more just? How can I become more forgiving? How can I become more gentle? How can I become more compassionate? How can I become more responsible? How can I become more generous? How can I become more open? How can I become more accepting? How can I become more honest? How can I become more humble? How can I become more patient? And how can I become more nurturing to those that I call my family and those that I share my community with here at All Souls? And of course, when we answer these questions for ourselves, we then need to affirm them through our actions. Perhaps in a spiritual pledge of support to our family and to our church. Each thing, from the single grain of dust to the strongest being, is the end and final cause of all creation, The mirror in which the beam of the Creator comes to rest and is reflected yet again. In this great dance, plans without number interlock, and each movement becomes, in its season, the breaking into flower of the whole design. Each is equally at the center, and none are thereby being equals, some by giving place, and some by receiving. The small things by smallness and the great by greatness, but we are all linked and bound together. I wonder if the world ever sighs after more than it is like you and I. O oh, Spirit of life, we struggle against our limitations. May we learn to accept them, and in so doing, may they help define our uniqueness and lead us toward a more authentic, fully human life. Amen. Thank you.